0: Seminar on how to lead your dog to Christ. This is what you're all here for, right? Good. This is uh, Understanding Israel in the End Times or something like that. I can't remember what it's called in the book. But if it has Israel in the title, that's the seminar you're supposed to be in. Well, that's the seminar you're in. I don't know if it's the one you wanted to be in, but I guess the other ones are all full. So so you ended up here, and I'm glad. My name is Wes Hall, and uh just to get formalities out of the way, I'm from the UK originally. I've lived in the States about six years, and uh I've been on staff at IHOP that time. I'm an instructor at the Foreigner School of Ministry where I teach on the subject of Israel and a number of other subjects, and uh if you're looking for a good school to go to, I'm sure Alan did the whole thing this morning, but I'm going to say need to look into coming to FSM. It will enrich your life immensely. And uh, I would uh, say, just look into it. Go and go to our info booth, ask all the questions you want. And uh, you know, I enjoy teaching there. You get to hear me more and a lot of other excellent teachers. <clears throat> what we're going to look at this afternoon is the subject of Israel, the subject of Israel in God's plan and his purpose in the end times. It's a subject that is Uh, controversial subject. It's a subject which is a confusing subject. It's a subject which is dismissed by many people and uh, misunderstood by many people. And it's a subject that I had no idea about really uh, until probably about five or six years ago, even less, maybe four or five years ago. I was not what Uh, in fact, a number of my friends in England, I've just come back from the UK from visiting family and friends. And they said, what happened to you? Whereas you were never into this Israel stuff. We didn't think you were that kind of a person, (laughs) which, uh, says something about the reputation of the subject of Israel in the body of Christ worldwide, that it is a subject that is uh, misunderstood and people have a lot of confusion about it. And so most people, uh, wanting not to, uh, get off track, tend to, rather than investigate it, avoid it altogether. It's what we tend to do if people go overboard too much on a subject, we go, I'm not going to be like that. I will not go into that subject and investigate it. And I think a lot of people have missed out on what I believe is one of the most important uh, subjects in the Word of God, which is the subject of Israel and the church and the relationship of the church to the ethnic nation of Israel in the end times. Um and I I, I uh am sorry that I did not look in into this subject much earlier in my life. My goal when I started uh researching this subject was not to read as many books as I could on the subject, it was to read the Bible and see what, Lord, do you say in your word concerning the nation of Israel? What is your plan concerning the nation of Israel, the city of Jerusalem, the Jewish people? What is on your heart? Because I want to go along with with what is on your heart, whatever it costs me, if it mean that I lose my reputation, if it mean stigma that I carry stigma Lord, I want to be in it, but I only want to be in it if I can find it in the word. And uh, Mike and Alan and others have talked this uh, last couple of days a lot about understanding the Word of God. I think it's absolutely critical not that we just follow blindly what other people say to us, but that we be like the Bereans who Paul visited, after he'd been in Thessalonica, and they were commended as more noble than the Thessalonians because they gave themselves to a diligent study of the Word. They wanted to understand that what they were hearing could be found in the Word of God. And concerning the subject of Israel, my heart is that all of you, I mean, I can give you the briefest and barest overview of this subject this afternoon, is that each of you would go home and would study this subject out for yourselves and become convinced in your own heart of the importance of the bride of Christ, of the church of Jesus Christ, standing with Israel in these last days. So I want to pray, and uh, and then we're going to look at this subject. Father, we love you. We love you in this place. Father, we thank you for your purposes concerning Israel. More than that, Lord, we thank you for your plan to fill the earth with your glory. And Lord, we thank you for the way in which the nation of Israel is connected to that grand purpose of yours to redeem the earth. Lord, I ask that you would give us insight and understanding into the role of Israel in your plan. Father, I ask that you would touch hearts and touch minds across this room this afternoon that you would give us a spirit of revelation in the knowledge of the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, and what burns on his heart for his brethren according to the flesh. And, Father, that we would stand behind you, foursquare as you seek and pursue those who pierce you in the land of Israel, as you seek and pursue them to bring them back into the family that we would stand with you, that we would give you no rest for Zion's sake. And so, Father, I ask you to open your word to us this afternoon in this short time we have together. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 62. Isaiah 62. <clears throat> Why should we give ourselves to understanding the subject of Israel? Why should we give ourselves to understanding the subject? I believe a key is found in this chapter of Scripture in Isaiah 62. It concerns the city of Jerusalem. As quickly, Paul says about this subject of Israel in, in uh and the Jewish people in Romans eleven. He says, Brethren, I do not desire that you be ignorant of this mystery. Now, Paul in his writings to the various churches of Asia Minor and Europe, gave gave us insight into many mysteries of God's heart. The mystery of the resurrection, the mystery of heaven and earth coming together, the mystery of salvation and the new birth. But there is one mystery that he talks about and he says, Brethren, do not be ignorant of this mystery. Do not be ignorant. There is a consequence if we are ignorant about the mystery of the place of Israel in God's plan. It is not something that we can afford to just say that is something for those whacked out people who like blowing shofars, wearing prayer shawls, and doing funny dances. Now, if you like doing that stuff, I love you. God bless you. But I'm not really into blowing shofars, okay? And doing funny dances, okay? What we're talking about here in the subject of Israel is not embracing... And becoming Jewish, embracing a Jewish culture. It's about understanding the unique place that that people has in the place of God, in the plan of God, in the place of God's heart. And as Gentiles standing with God in his plan to rescue and redeem the Jewish people. It's not mostly about us embracing Jewish culture. It's mostly about us entering into God's heart. And Paul says, concerning God's heart for Israel, I do not desire that you be ignorant. If you are ignorant of the place of Israel in God's plan, there is a danger. And I've not got time to go into it this afternoon. But that danger is we are cut off from God's people. There is a danger that if we are ignorant of the place of Israel in God's plan, we end up opposing God himself and we end up falling away. We end up falling away. This is not a subject about which we can say it's an optional extra. It is an essential subject for us to understand. The mandate, I believe, for the church at the end of the age, Mike mentioned this the other night, is that God is raising up a prayer movement. The purpose of what God is doing on the earth in this hour is to raise up a prayer movement, which is called the body of Christ, because that is what the Lord has called His church. Isaiah 56 verse 7. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. God is raising up His church in the end times to contend in the place of prayer for the salvation of Israel. That is our main mandate as the body of Christ. Now that's a bold statement. Some of you go, what? My main mandate is to contend for revival in my city. That's all part of it. But it is unto the salvation of of the ethnic nation of Israel. Look what Isaiah says, Isaiah 62, verse 6 and 7. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes and till he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Now, let's break that down a bit. The Lord is speaking about to two groups of people here. He's saying, Jerusalem, I have set watchmen on your walls. Now, just to get one point out of the way, when the Bible says Jerusalem, it usually means Jerusalem. Okay? how many people know where Jerusalem is? Okay, it's a city in the Middle East. How many of you know where the land of Israel is? Okay, yeah, it's a land in the Middle East. Now, for those of you who have trouble with Bible interpretation, I'll give you a secret. When it says Israel in the Bible, it means that land that you read about in the newspaper or on the Internet, because we don't read newspapers these days, or that you see on CNN. It's It's about that land. When the Bible talks about Jerusalem, it's speaking about the city that is in that land, the city of Jerusalem. So this verse is speaking about the literal city of Jerusalem in the land of Israel. And God says, I've set watchmen, I've set intercessors on your walls. And they will never hold their peace day or night. They will cry out to God day and night. But there's another group of people that God is saying, I want you to cry out to me day and night for Jerusalem. And it's this group, you who make mention of the Lord. Anybody in this room who makes mention of the Lord. Anybody who confesses the name of Jesus in this room. Means you make mention of the Lord. You mention the Lord with your mouth. This is addressing you here. You who make mention of the Lord. Do not keep silent. Give him no rest. You go yes I'm going to give myself to day and night prayer. But wait a minute. What is the focus of our prayer ultimately. Give him no rest until he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in all the earth. God says, my purpose for the church is that they cry out day and night until Jerusalem becomes a praise in the whole earth. You go, why? Why would I do that? Well, we'll get into that in just a minute. But I want you to notice this. God is saying this is not just for the Israel prayer group. This job description is not just for the small prayer group in your church who is focused on Israel. It is you who make mention of the Lord that is being addressed here. This is a mandate for every believer. The ultimate goal of our intercession is the establishing of Jerusalem as the capital city of the whole earth as the place from where the glory of God fills the earth as the waters cover the seas. And many of us, many in the body of Christ, have missed out on this really critical job description of the church because what we've done is we have spiritualized away the meaning of Jerusalem. And we've taken Jerusalem and we've said, we are Jerusalem. We are Zion, the bride of Christ, the new covenant people of God. The Lord says, yes, you are my people, but you've been grafted in to my people. Not to the exclusion of the Jewish people, but in addition to the Jewish people. God doesn't have two people. He has one people. Jew and Gentile together, there's only one way to salvation. It is the name of Jesus Christ. Paul says that clearly in Romans 10. But he says... The gift and call of God are irrevocable in Romans 11. What does that mean? Well, it's like this. I have two brothers. Both of my brothers have the same father. We came into our family in the same way. Yet we have different callings. We have different giftings. We have unique purposes. Does that make me less part of my father's family, than my brother? Absolutely not. But does it make me unique within my father's family? Absolutely. And it's like that with the nation of Israel and Gentile believers. We are all part of our father's family, yet we have unique and different roles. And God has a unique role for the nation of Israel. And he he expresses it many, many times throughout the Bible. And if all we an easy an easy uh, lesson in how to interpret the Bible and how to find out where God speaks about it is simply this. Where it says Israel, understand that it means Israel. Where it says Jerusalem, understand that it means Jerusalem. And that will open your eyes in a whole new way to understanding many of the Old Testament promises. God says that he has great zeal for this land, for this people, for this city of Jerusalem. He says in 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 Ze- the book of Zechariah twice, I have great zeal for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for this city, for this people, for this land. All of my attention is focused on it. Isaiah 62 and verse 1. The Lord says this. He says, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. Zion and Jerusalem, two names for the same place. There's a little bit more to it than that, but. That's the basic gist of it. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. Everything that God says is for the sake of Zion. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. What's he not doing if he's not resting? He is working. Everything that God does is for the sake of Jerusalem until her righteousness goes forth like a flaming torch and her righteousness is seen by the nations of the earth. God is focused on this nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem like nothing else, like nothing else. And why is that? Why is he focused on the salvation of Israel? Because when Israel becomes holy to the Lord, when that nation becomes holy to the Lord, the scripture says something profound. It says the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the water covers the seas give you one scripture, Ezekiel 36 verse 22. God says, the nations, Ezekiel 36 verse 23, the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you, Israel, before their eyes. Israel, when you come into a saving knowledge of me, When you begin to obey my decrees and walk in righteousness and walk in holiness before the Lord, it is going to mean, in Paul's words, life from the dead for the whole earth. There is going to be a revival and a a period of restoration and a period of redemption for the whole earth that is going to be ushered in When Israel as a nation is saved and enters in to their role and purpose as a nation of priests before the Lord. When I am hallowed in you, Israel, instead of profaned by you through all the nations. When the nations look to Jerusalem and see holiness to the Lord, the nations will know that I am God. They will know that I am God. King David understood this. He understood the nearness to God's heart of the city of Jerusalem. He said, this is my one thing that I'm not going to go to bed. I'm not going to give rest to my eyes until I build a dwelling place for the Lord in the city of Jerusalem. Because I know that is the place from which God's glory is going to fill the earth. The apostle Paul understood it. He said, brethren, in Romans chapter 9, verse 1 through 3. He says, I've got continual grief in my heart, brethren, continual grief in my heart. Now, this is Paul. Paul was the apostle to who? The Gentiles, right? Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, says, brethren, I have grief in my heart continually. My heart is sorrowful so that I would wish that I could be accursed from Christ. What does that mean? It means I would trade my salvation for this thing. And what is it? For my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Paul says, I am longing for Israel to say yes to Jesus. Because if Israel does not say yes to Jesus, God's purpose will not be accomplished. The earth will not be filled with God's glory. And Paul says, that's Why I preach the gospel to the Gentiles? Because the salvation of the Gentiles is what is going to provoke Israel to say yes to their Messiah and come in to the family of God as a nation again. What is it that God is going to do? Why Jerusalem? Why Israel? We have to understand a little bit I'm going to be very brief here, but it's hard to understand the small piece. If if we look at God's plan like a jigsaw puzzle. Israel's been like that piece that you cannot find where it goes, but when you find where it goes, it makes the whole puzzle fit together. Anyone done a puzzle like that? What is this puzzle? What is this puzzle This piece? Where does this puzzle piece go? You put that puzzle piece in and it makes the whole picture make sense. Okay? Most of us are standing there with that puzzle piece going, it seems kind of random, it actually seems like it doesn't belong to the, to, to, to the, to the, to the puzzle. But most of us don't have a clue what's on the buck, bo- what the picture is on the box. And so we have to understand a little bit of the overall picture of God's plan and purpose before the Israel piece makes sense. God's plan is to bring everything together in heaven and on earth in Christ. God's plan is to unite the spiritual dimension of His creation with the material dimension of His creation called earth in the man Christ Jesus. Paul says that in Ephesians 1 verse 9. God wants to restore everything to the place that it was in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. Remember, God dwelling with mankind. Where? On the earth. Walking with Adam in the cool of the day. See, God created man for the earth not for heaven. And God wants to dwell forever with us. Where? On the earth, not in heaven. That's why one of the final verses of the Bible, Revelation 21, verse three, we see at the end of history, the tabernacle or the dwelling of God coming down from heaven and joining with the earth. The dwelling of God is with men. Now, the problem is this. The earth right now is corrupt It is in bondage to decay, Paul says in Romans chapter 8. Instead of being renewed from glory to glory to glory, the earth is going from worse to worse to worse. It's in bondage to decay. Everything is decaying on the earth. And it's full of sin and unrighteousness. And if the holy new Jerusalem came down and connected to the earth right now, the earth would be completely destroyed. The earth has to be made compatible or restored to a state where it is compatible for God to come and dwell upon it, where it is made holy and righteous again. And God is committed, therefore, to redeem this planet and restore this planet so that he can come and dwell upon the earth for all eternity. Now the problem is this. Who is going to restore the earth? Who is going to restore the earth? Because God can't just step out of heaven and do it himself. Why not? Because in Genesis chapter one, he gave authority to mankind to do that. He said, man, it's your job to do it. And man messed up. And didn't do it, do a good job. But that was us. We would have fired man and done the job ourselves, right? (laughs) You're fired. Forget it. I'll step in and do it ourselves. But God being God says, well, I've spoken. Now I have to do it that way. Because my word does not return to me void. And so the story of redemption, the story of the Bible is the story of where is a man who can exercise the authority to restore the earth and redeem the earth? Where's he going to come from? It has to be a man. And God says it's going to be a God man. It's going to be a God man. I'm going to take on flesh but because I am going to take on flesh, it means I have to be born to a family. And the story of the Old Testament is the story about the family through which the man would come who would have the authority to restore the earth and make it compatible for God to come down and dwell with us forever again. And God chose that family. God chose that family when He chose Abraham and his descendants says this is the family through whom that messiah is going to come he has to be born of a woman and if he has to be born of a woman he has to be born to a family so i have to choose a family and that family became known as the people of israel and the people of israel didn't ask to be chosen see before god chose abraham there was no jews there were no jews they were just gentiles and god says I'm going to make a special family because I've got a plan to redeem the earth. And that family became known as the people of Israel. And through that family, the redeemer would come who would restore the whole earth. I mean, just think about that for a minute. What is it going to look like for the earth to be restored? What is it going to look like for the earth to be restored? Every wrong thing is going to be made right. I'm going to give you a verse about the restoration of all things, by the way. It's, It's Acts chapter 3, verse 21. It says, the earth is waiting, the earth is waiting for all things to be restored. The earth is waiting for Jesus to come again so that all things can be restored. That's a summary of that verse. God's plan is to restore all things. Jesus, when Jesus comes, he is going to restore all things. And Paul says in Romans 8 that creation is groaning, wanting to be liberated from bondage to decay. What is it like when our bodies are liberated from bondage to decay? Anyone over 40 in this room? What will it be like when your body is liberated from bondage to decay? Anyone over 15 in this room? No, I mean... It means that your physical body goes from glory to glory to glory. At the moment, our spirits are the first fruits of that. But they're the only thing in all of creation that moves from glory to glory to glory. But the whole of creation, instead of going from bad to worse, which we think is normal, it's going to get better and better and better and better. Isn't that amazing? We live so far below what God intended creation to look like. I mean, I held one of those vegetables that grew in El Malonga, Guatemala. Some of you seen the transformation videos, right? There's huge vegetables. I mean, I held a carrot that was literally that big. Because God touched the earth in that place. And they started growing, growing enormous vegetables. When we look at those vegetables and go, they're unusual. They're abnormal size. God looks at the vegetables we eat and go, they are abnormal size. We live so far below normal. So all of us love movies like Superman. No, I wish I could fly like that. X ray vision. You think the vision that we have is what God intended us to have our eyes to function like? Or hearing? Or the speed at which we walk. When Jesus comes back, he is going to restore all things. But anyway, the point is this the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is the story of God's plan to redeem the earth and the family that God would use to redeem the earth. God had to choose a family through whom to bring this redeemer. And Jesus came as the son of David. And there were numerous promises spoken over him that he would come as the son of David and he would sit on David's throne and rule over David's kingdom. And that was how he would restore the earth. And of the increase of his government and peace, there would be no end. Now, if you think about God's plan to restore the earth, those verses make a lot more sense, right? He will sit on David's throne. Where was David's throne? Jerusalem. Good. Where was David's kingdom? Israel. Has Jesus sat on David's throne and ruled over David's kingdom yet? No but he will. He will. And when he does of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Now, the problem is this. The problem is this. Jesus took back the authority to rule over the earth from Jerusalem as the son of David at the cross. And now it's like he's the president who's been elected, but not yet inaugurated. You know, he's like He has no power. He's not yet exercising his power. It's like when George Bush was elected, whenever it was, six years ago, and Clinton was still in power. There was like a month or two where George Bush was the president-elect, but Clinton was still operating and running the country. And it's kind of like that with Jesus. He won the authority to rule the earth at Calvary. He has the authority to rule the earth, but he has not yet been inaugurated as the king over the whole earth. And do you know what the inauguration ceremony is called? It's called the salvation of Israel. It's called the salvation of Israel. Jesus is waiting to be invited by Israel to be their king. He says, I'm coming to rule over the earth from Israel. But I'm not coming until they invite me to be their king. I will not force myself upon them. They are my vehicle through whom I am going to rule the earth and restore all things. But I'm not coming until they invite me. And so Jesus, before he was crucified, spoke to the leaders of Israel and said, Jerusalem, you will see me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He says, I am coming to rule. I am coming to establish the kingdom of David in fullness from Israel. And my glory will fill the whole earth. But I want to be wanted. I want to be invited back. And when I come back, the earth is going to be restored. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that glorious? But because Jesus has limited himself. I I mean, I don't have to go have time. I would love to give you some of the promises of what it's going to look like in that day. I mean, there's going to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. The city of Jerusalem, it says, is going to be filled with the manifest presence of God. Over every dwelling place, there's going to be a cloud by day and a flaming fire by night. Those things that accompanied Israel in the wilderness are going to be over every dwelling in Jerusalem. Manifest glory of God is going to fill an entire city and nothing unholy will be allowed to go there. The city on a hill, remember Jesus said, cannot be hidden. What happens when that day comes and that's a real city? And all the nations of the earth stream to it and say, show us your ways, Jesus. We want the earth to be restored. Jerusalem's going to be the throne of God. Satan's going to be sent to prison for a thousand years and then to the lake of fire for all eternity. And at the end of a thousand years, when Jesus has completed the process of restoring the earth, the dwelling of God is going to come down upon the earth. And I will dwell with them and they will be my people. There'll be no more crying, tears or sickness. But because of this great and awesome plan. Satan. Is mad. Satan is mad. He said, I don't want to go to prison. I don't want Jesus. You know, he's like the president that's still in office but has lost his power. And he's doing everything in his power to stop that president coming into power. You know, it's like he's trying to sabotage his actual taking up that power and beginning to reign. He's going to fail, by the way. But he says, I'm going to take advantage of every loophole possible. And there's this one loophole that Jesus gave, which is if I'm not invited back by the Jewish people, I'm not going to come back and establish my kingdom on the earth. And so Satan says, that's good. I've got him. If I can wipe out the Jewish people, if I can annihilate the city of Jerusalem, then Jesus can't come back. And if Jesus can't come back, he can't throw me into prison. See, Jesus, if he came back without being invited by the Jewish people, he'd be a liar. Cause he says, I'm not gonna come back until you invite me. And how can a liar come back and turn to the father of lies and say, go to prison for a thousand years? And go to the lake of fire after that? He can't. And so Satan's focus in this hour, I believe, is not on blowing up mega ministries. It's not on the biggest churches in America. It is on wiping out the Jewish people so that Jesus cannot return and set up his kingdom, which will know no end. Satan is focused on that more than anything else on the earth right now. He says, I do not want to go to prison. I do not want to go to the lake of fire. If I can stop Jesus coming back, I will be safe and I can stop Jesus coming back. If I can wipe out the Jewish people, if I can stop them saying yes to Jesus. And so his strategy, well, number one, he understands the plan of God, which is I'm going to provoke Israel through the church. I'm going to make the the, the Gentiles are going to be the messengers to preach salvation to the Jews. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put animosity between the Jew and the Gentile. So that the Jews will hate the church. I'm going to make them enemies of each other. So that they will never hear the name of Jesus and never want to respond to the name of Jesus. And secondly, I will try directly to wipe them out. And so we had the Crusades. And we had the pogroms under uh, in Eastern Europe in the 18th century. And we had the Inquisition in the Middle Ages. And we had the Holocaust of the 1930s and the 1940s. And we have growing anti-Semitism all across the earth, even in our hour of epidemic proportions, the anti-Semitism that is rising up across the earth. And it's going to culminate with every nation on the earth surrounding Jerusalem seeking to wipe out that city and destroy the Jewish people. Because Satan says, I don't want Jesus back. I don't want that man to come back and spoil my fun And take my authority away from me. And so trouble is coming. Great trouble is coming to the nation of Israel. Great trouble. Many Jewish men and women will die in this great trouble. Many, many. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 7. But don't worry. God is in control. He's not going to allow that nation to be wiped out completely. And if Israel is God's vehicle through whom the earth is going to be redeemed, the church is God's vehicle through whom Israel is going to be saved. And that's where we come in. And that's why it is absolutely critical that we understand the place of Israel in God's plan. Because we are the vehicle to provoke them to jealousy so that they say yes to Jesus. And where does that start? That starts in the place of prayer. It starts in the place of prayer. Paul says in Romans eleven thirty-one, Through the mercy shown you. Gentiles. Where he says this, first of all, he says, because they fell. They rejected me when I came the first time. Because they rejected me, you Gentiles received mercy. You received the blessing of being allowed into God's family. And through the mercy that you have been shown, they will receive mercy. In other words, the goal of your life, as Paul said, is to provoke those of natural Israel to jealousy that they would receive Jesus. So that He would return so that all things might be made new. And it starts, I believe, in the place of prayer. See, Israel's acceptance of Jesus as their Messiah depends, Paul says in Romans 11, verse 11, they must be provoked to jealousy by the Gentile believers. They must be provoked to jealousy by the church. How do they get provoked to jealousy? by the church actually look, looking like Jesus. Not just speaking the name of Jesus. If we're going to provoke someone to jealousy, we actually have to offer something that is attractive. Now, I'm going to do this little story. I'm going to finish with this little story. I have two, two children, two small children, a little boy and little girl, Jeremiah and Anna, four and almost three. Now, imagine... I had a big box of candy. Okay, Can you imagine that big box of candy. It's all just been Christmas. You know, I'm sure you all got a lot of candy. Maybe you've eaten it already. Imagine that big box of candy: Snickers and Milky Ways and Butterfingers and Reese's Pieces and yeah, you know, whatever you, you know, Hershey's and all of that kind of good stuff that you love when you're about four years of age. Okay. And I say to my son, Jeremiah, I've got this box of candy for you. And with this box of candy, you can have as much as you you want, but there's going to be too much for you. You're going to share it with all your friends. And your sister, and you're going to share it with everyone. But there's a condition. Condition is this. You have to tidy up your room. Because you've been playing with your toys and throwing your toys around and whatever. Tidy up. And he says to me, no, I don't want to tidy up my room. I say, well, I want to give you this candy, but you got to tidy up. No, I'm not going to tidy up my room. Give me the, give me the, give me the candy. No, I say, you can't have the candy. So we're at a stalemate. But my purpose is decreed. I have designated that box of candy for my son. I said, it's yours, but you have to fulfill the condition. And I'm going to give it to him whatever. I know he will tidy up his room. But I have a strategy for him to get that box. My strategy is this. I take one candy bar out of that box. And I give it to my little girl who's two and a half. I say, Anna, this is pure chocolate and sugar. (laughs) And I open it up halfway. In fact, I take the whole wrapper off so it will melt in her hand. The chocolate will run. I say, Anna, go and eat this candy bar right in front of your brother. (laughs) And so she goes and eats that candy bar in front of her brother. And he's looking at it, and he's looking at the chocolatey mess, and he's going, oh, I've got to have some candy. And he says, that's my candy, she's eating. That's my candy. I want that candy. And he comes to me and says, I need that candy. And I'm sorry, dad. I'll tidy my room. I'll tidy my toys. We're in right relationship again. And I give him the box of candy. And he becomes a blessing to all of his friends. And he gets blessed himself in the process. But he was provoked to jealousy by watching his sister Eat that one bar of candy. And it's like, that's what God has for the church. He promised life from the dead to the whole earth. Life from the dead through the nation of Israel as Jesus ruling as king over Israel says, the earth will be restored. The earth will be blessed. The manifest presence of God will fill Israel. And Israel said, we don't want that. We don't want. Your way of salvation, Jesus. And so God took a bit of the Holy Spirit. Not, not not the full amount that restored the whole earth. But the same quality of the Holy Spirit that he promised to Israel and he gave it to the church. And he says, live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Live in the power of the Holy Spirit in the face of Israel. Let them see you living righteously. Let them see you living in power and authority. Let them see you living in the love of God towards each other in the face of persecution. Let them see you living sacrificial lives of holiness, offerings to the poor. Let them see the spirit of God within you. And here's what it's like. Here's what we've done. It would be like this if I gave the bar of candy to my daughter and instead of eating it in front of my son, she put the bar of candy in the fridge and she got a stick of broccoli out. And she began chewing that stick of broccoli in front of my son. And my son just went, you're weird. Oh, don't you love this broccoli? No. What are you doing? You're odd. Get away from me. You're strange. And so then she takes the broccoli and starts hitting him with the broccoli. Broccoli. So you're laughing, but that is the kind of witness that we have been to Israel. It has not provoked them to jealousy at all. We have not lived in the fullness of the spirit. We've lived in the fullness of our own ideas and agendas of what God wants the church to look like. And Israel has not been impressed. And Israel has not been provoked. But God says, as you stand In the place of prayer for Israel, I am going to do something powerful. I am going to release the spirit of prophecy on the church. I am going to release a prophetic witness on the church. I encourage you to look at, 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 we're we're out of time, but I encourage you to look at Isaiah 62. Verse 1 through 7. and Joel chapter 2 verses uh, 28 and following. Verses 15 through 17 and then verses 28 and following. But we see an interesting dynamic. And it's this. As we, as the church gives itself, as we give him no rest for the sake of Israel, for the sake of her salvation, God says, I will not rest. I will not be silent. God says, give him no rest until he does what he said he's going to do. Cry out to Him until He does what He promised for Jerusalem. What did God promise He would do? He would not be silent and He would not rest. In other words, in response to our prayers, God is going to speak. As we cry out for God to fulfill His plan and purpose for Israel, God is going to begin to speak. How does God speak? Through the church. It's called the spirit of prophecy. Spirit of prophecy is what, Revelation says, the testimony of Jesus. As we begin to stand in the place of prayer and say, let your kingdom come, Lord. Fulfill your promises concerning Jerusalem. God says, I will not be silent. I'm going to release my spirit upon the church. You want revival in your city? I'll give you revival, not for the sake of your city, but for the sake of my kingdom being established on the whole earth because I must have a witness that provokes Israel to jealousy so that they can cry out for their Messiah, so that Jesus can return, so that the earth can be filled with my glory. And it starts in the place of prayer. And it starts in the place of understanding. I am zealous for Zion with great zeal. I am burning with jealousy for Jerusalem. It's not just about, it's not about God preferring one nation above all the other nations. It's about God's desire to fill all the nations with His glory. He says, I've got a plan. It's to restore the whole earth. That's why when He chose Abraham, He says, Abraham, I'm choosing you. But this promise is not just to bring you blessing and prosperity. It's so that in you and through your descendants, all the families of the earth would be blessed. God's intention is to restore the earth. And his strategy. Is choosing an insignificant. Nation. A dusty little city. Let's not get any illusions of grandeur. One day Jerusalem is going to be filled with the glory of God. But right now. It is a dusty little city. In the Middle East. Of no significance. But God says this through the prophet Zechariah. She's the apple of my eye. She's the object of my affections. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And God is raising up his church in this hour to stand with him and give him no rest until he establishes and until he makes Jerusalem a praise in all the earth. Amen. Let's stand. Holy Spirit, we ask for you to come. Father, we ask that you would rest upon us with a revelation of your love for Israel, for the Jewish people, for the city of Jerusalem. Father, give us understanding of your zeal for Zion. Father, I ask that you would direct our hearts. Direct our hearts into this mystery. Father, direct our hearts. Lord, we say we do not want to be ignorant of this mystery and we say it is a mystery. But we say, Lord, let your kingdom come. Establish your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Give us understanding and revelation of your plans and your purpose concerning the nation of Israel. Lord, we want to be those who give you no rest and who are not silent. We love you and we bless your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now we have a, I just want to, one, one thing very quickly. We have a, a, a booth around the Maid just called the Israel.